Hello, and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Today, we, and some of you would say finally, turn to a discussion of the tax agenda of a possible second Trump term. Look, one thing you quickly learn in doing these podcasts is that you can't always make everybody happy, and that's okay. I don't mind being told I'm wrong or misguided, confusing or callow. That's fine. But the one thing I really can't live with, and the kind of thing that honestly keeps me awake at night, is on the few occasions we've gotten feedback saying that this podcast is political or partisan, favoring one idea over another. I've said it before, but let me just say it again. That's just not what we do here. There are so many places to go for that kind of political content, some of them really good. But we have no interest in trying to add to that canon. From the beginning, this podcast set out to be about policy, not politics, and our team here goes to great lengths to live up to that. And it's hard with a topic that we all know inherently touches upon politics. I feel like we are always dancing on the edge of the fire, trying very hard not to fall in. So to that end, you might be asking then why it took us 18 episodes into the series to get to the Trump tax plan. That's a fair question. First, I think it's safe to say the TCJA itself really was the Trump tax plan enacted back in December of 2017. Yes, there was work left undone on aspects of the law, and we'll talk about those today. But so many of those aspects are relatively well known to this audience that we thought it important first to get to the more novel or unknown items of the Biden plan first. Second, in some ways, the topics we touch on in this podcast choose themselves based upon the discussions that we have every day with our clients. Every day we are asked to explain the Biden plan, often multiple times a day, or to help taxpayers model the Biden plan, very much less so on a Trump tax plan. Why? Well, I think it's because taxpayers have internalized large parts of the TCJA, even with some aspects still potentially in flux. But a total tax reset, as the Biden plan suggests, would set the tax system off in a new direction. It presents a far greater change. And with change, there is always risk. And to manage that risk, taxpayers of all types are trying to first understand that Biden plan. And finally, there's the simple fact that President Trump hasn't said a whole lot about taxes for his second term. We made that same observation about candidate Biden way back in episode six, but President Trump has said even less. So with all of that background, let's get into today's discussion and actually turn to what we do know about the Trump plan. And let me welcome back catching up on Capitol Hill regulars, Jennifer Gray and Carol Coolish. So Jennifer, let me start with you with this very basic question. Does Trump even really need a tax plan for his second term? Didn't he already kind of, you know, succeed with his tax plan? Well, I think you answered the question earlier, Don. I mean, technically he guess doesn't have one, at least in writing, if you look on the website. But, you know, I, I think the thought here is folks know, for the most part, where he's going. You have an idea of the ideology of where Trump's going. So you know, a lot of what we see him talking about, doubling down on TCJA, I mean, we'll talk about some other ideas he's throwing out there. But you know, if you go to the website, there is not a tax plan and there's just not a lot of detail there. So I think the thought, my guess is, is that folks know where he's going when it comes to this particular topic. He's been very active on it over the past three and a half years. Yeah, well, Jennifer, I mean, I think it's fair to say that I guess it's true that you can't have nothing on taxes. Taxes are always one of the important issues, but the president probably hasn't built his campaign around doing something in a second term. Is that fair to say? I think that's correct. I said we'll, we'll touch later, but TCJ is really the, the center point of where he's coming from tax-wise, and I think it will be the starting point, at least, for most of what he would be looking at for a second term. 
But we know something. We know that he's talked about some items on doing taxes in a second term. So, Carol, let's come back to you. Give us some of the highlights. Look, this could be a very long conversation. There's a lot of things kind of in the mix, potentially. But let's just start on the individual side. Give us some of the highlights, things we could look for on proposals in a second term, at least as it relates to individuals. And then we'll get to businesses in a minute. Well, John, we don't really know what his priorities would be in terms of tax proposals, but we can talk about some of the things that he's mentioned or that we believe that based upon our past experience, he would be supportive of. And those may include, as you were mentioning, extending some of the revenue losing provisions in the TCJA relating to individuals. When the TCJA was enacted, they used special procedures that required, in order for them to meet certain revenue targets, they made individual and estate tax favorable provisions temporary, and you may see an effort to extend or make permanent the TCJA's individual tax rate structure for all income tax brackets. You might also see him advocate extending or making permanent the TCJA's increase in the estate and gift tax exemption amounts. Those don't necessarily have to be front burner items because those changes don't kick in until after 2025, but those could be items that the Trump administrative would be supportive of. Trump himself has seemed to be supportive of or interested in cutting capital gains taxes, perhaps through indexing, as well as modifying or repealing the net investment income tax. That's something that's possible. Trump has also indicated an interest in forgiving the payroll taxes that were deferred pursuant to the executive memorandum he issued earlier this year, and perhaps even providing some sort of broader payroll tax relief. He's also mentioned providing a middle income tax cut, but I don't know how high that is on his radar screen and how big of a priority that would be. And then there are also some other more targeted individual provisions that he or members of his administration have mentioned. But again, we really don't know what his various legislative priorities will be and how strongly he'll push for different things. But those are the kinds of things I think we may see Trump being supportive of. So, Carol, two of the things you mentioned, just to remind us, maybe a contrast to where Biden is. So you mentioned capital gains cuts in some way, maybe through indexing or otherwise, and a payroll tax cut. So just remind us, because I think this is where we're looking at a pretty stark contrast between the two candidates. Biden's going the opposite direction on both of those to a certain extent, right? To a certain extent, yes. On capital gains taxes, yes. He does have a proposal dealing with the Social Security taxes that would be an increase. So yes, opposite direction in those regards. And then you mentioned that the individual thing, you know, I think people are aware of that since enactment of the TCJA, you know, December 31st, 2025 is going to be a big night if Congress doesn't get there before then, because if nothing happens, we go back to the pre-TCJA law for most of the individual items. So that's uh, an interesting date to circle on your calendar if you're a tax policy person. Okay, now that's individual. Jennifer, what about on the business side? Are we seeing major proposals or some of these big things on the business side? Carol told us that most of the business stuff in the TCJA was permanent. It was more of the individual items that were temporary. So what should we be looking for on the business side? I think we'll see a doubling down on the TCJA. I mean, certainly, I think a priority will be to keep the corporate rate where it is, possibly even try to push a little bit lower if that's a possible thing to do or not. And, you know, on the TCJA, there were a number of items due to, as Carol mentioned, some of the procedural processes in the Senate with how they were able to get that bill through on a purely partisan basis. 
Because of that, some of these razors proposals phase in. My guess is there will be an effort to stop some of those, so to keep the TCGA rules as they are now, as opposed to letting some of those tax increases, like scheduled increase in the beat rates, some of the reductions in the guilty and fitty deduction rates, the business interest limitation that switches from EBITDA to EBIT, which is a taxpayer unfriendly change, some RE capitalization issues, some meals and entertainment deduction issues. So I think a lot of these things are scheduled to happen that would increase taxes. I think there'll probably be an effort to see if Congress will agree to postpone those tax increases from happening. So I think that's a start. You know, as far as new issues, surprisingly, this is an area where we perhaps could see a little bit of agreement between where Trump and Biden could potentially end up. Uh, For instance, both of them have some sort of a incentive in their plan or in their ideas for some sort of made in America incentive, maybe some incentives for essential industries, things like pharmaceuticals, which were uh, highlighted quite a bit during the current COVID situation as not having as many U.S. sources as one might perhaps want. Want and maybe perhaps try and incentivize some of those items to be made in the USA. Questions of infrastructure. The president over the years has said a, a lot in support of infrastructure. Is there something from a tax perspective there? Perhaps bonds, something along those lines that would help with infrastructure um, investments. And then, of course, the other issue that keeps floating in and out for the past three years is this odd issue of indexing capital gains. There's been some question whether Treasury can do that on its own. Do they have the authority? Do they not? Is that something they're at least, I know there's a little bit of interest among Republicans on the Hill for doing that. So perhaps that could raise its head. So I think there are a lot of things out there. Oh, and an, an interesting one is an idea of a corporate AMT. Would a corporate AMT come back? You mentioned in an earlier podcast a week or two ago, John with Tom West, Uh, This idea of, I think some folks out of the White House have said there's at least some interest in maybe looking at reinstating some type of a corporate AMT. So that would certainly be interesting. And of course, Mr. Biden has indicated some interest in reinstating some type of corporate AMT as well. That's a really good one. I agree that people should be thinking about is that the corporate AMT is gone, but not wholly forgotten. Two other things to ask you about, Jennifer. What about bonus appreciation, which begins to phase down? Do you think that's one of the kind of things that could get bipartisan support in terms of preventing the phase down from 100 percent that they could stick in a second term, come back to that? I certainly think it's possible. I certainly think there's interest from a Republican point of view in doing that. And there has been bipartisan support for changes in depreciation schedules, bonus depreciation back in the day. So we could see some bipartisan support for something like that. I certainly think an effort will be made to slow or stop that phase down. Yeah, you know, we sometimes forget that the first time we saw 100% bonus depreciation was during the Obama administration. So there seems to be some sort of bipartisan support. And then one last thing that we've talked about in prior episodes is we've got this project going on at the OECD. And no matter what happens there, could trigger some sort of legislation as well. All right, Carol, then coming back to you then. Okay, so we laid out all these things seem to be in the mix. It's a lot, right? But we're looking at the reality of probably a divided Congress. I mean, you know, let's just assume that the House stays in Democratic control, as almost all pollsters are saying is likely to happen. Put aside the Senate for the moment. So do we think any of these things could actually become law? What's that dynamic going to be like? (laughs) You know, people always say it's harder to get stuff done with a divided government than it is if there's one party control. And I think if that scenario plays out where Trump is sworn in for a second term and in your hypothetical Democrats control the House, I think we could be looking at divided government on 
steroids. Because you even look at what has to happen between now and then to get to that scenario. We've got Supreme Court confirmation hearings coming up. We've got an election where people are already very polarized and very passionate about their point of views, and we have to let that whole process play out. So I think we're looking at a situation where the partisan divisions may be even more stark, and there may be even more passion in that scenario than there is now. So I do think it may be difficult, at least at the beginning of 2021, under that scenario, to move major policy changes. I wonder whether the Trump administration then, if there are things that it wants to accomplish in the tax space, again, assuming that that's a priority because there's other stuff, maybe not as much interest of people on this podcast, but other issues outside tax that may be a bigger priority. But the Trump administration may look at what things Trump can do on his own. And Trump may ask his treasury to look at, you know, look again at things like indexing capital gains, look again at the kind of things that he tried to do with his executive orders when COVID relief stalled this fall, look to see what can they do on their own if it's really hard to move legislation. If there is the possibility for there to be legislation, maybe a little bit later on, I do think we're looking at what the low-hanging fruit is, because I do think that even though there's areas on which there can be bipartisan consensus, discrete issues, that there's still going to be the question of when you have a tax bill, other issues always come into the mix, and there's such big differences on a lot of the other issues that that might make it hard to move the stuff on which there is bipartisan agreement. But with all those caveats, I think some of the areas where maybe we could see something where there could be bipartisan agreement, you know, you have expired provisions when they're expired long enough. The um, things like that die at the end of this year, they may be resurrected at some point, maybe towards near the end of next year. There may be interest on both sides in doing something about from the TCJA, the um, R&E amortization provision that kicks in in 2022. But again, that could bring in a whole bunch of other TCJA issues, which could complicate it. It may be that depending upon the state of the COVID crisis, depending upon the state of the economy, maybe bipartisan consensus could be achievable in terms of using the tax code to respond in maybe a more targeted way than earlier this year we saw to the COVID crisis. As I think you, you've both alluded to with the digital tax, perhaps there could be bipartisan consensus in developing a response to the European digital tax incentives. So there are things where I think they could reach bipartisan consensus, but I do think it's going to be difficult under that scenario, the fact that I think we're going to be in a very hyper-partisan environment, and the fact that when you do tax bills, lots of stuff comes into the mix, and there's such big differences. I do think that the odds favor less being done rather than more from a tax policy, tax legislation actually becoming enacted perspective. And I also do think you can see more stuff where you may see Again, John, under your scenario, House passing its messaging bills, but them not moving further, that there could be more messaging than actual legislation. Well, one other scenario, just to, for, for your quick thoughts on, I mean, we saw with the Bush tax cuts, right, that were expiring, much like the individual tax cuts of the TCJA, when it came time, really, for those to expire, that an Obama administration was able to make a deal with a Republican-controlled House then to do some extension at some income level. Is that, do you think? possibly in play in this scenario with those individual cuts that expire at the end of 2025? 
that's the next Congress already, right? Because this Congress will be 2021 and 2022. So yeah, it's possible they may do something, but it may be that people are thinking politics will change, that the Republicans are thinking maybe they'll pick up in the midterms. You know, maybe it'll be easier for them to get exactly what they want to get done rather than have to compromise if they do it earlier. But you're right. I mean, I think the Democrats would be more inclined to be focused on just looking at the extending the rates for the lower income brackets. Republicans, I think, would want to extend them for all of the brackets. And do they reach the agreement on some of them now or do they just say, let's just the Republicans look and say, why don't we wait until after the midterms? Yeah, the Congress always waits till the last minute on these things. So I would be highly surprised if they're uh, they manage to address those matters prior to a couple months before they expire, if that early. That's what I think that the one that comes up sooner that I could see Again, it's something where I think there's bipartisan interest in in furthering R&D being in the U.S. And I could see something perhaps being done, given there's a 2022 click-in of the change in R&E expenses, that that could be something that becomes more of a, it could become a front burner issue. But again, it it could bring in other TCJA-related issues, which may be harder to reach bipartisan consensus on. Right. I could see them wait until the deadline on that. My guess is most of these TCJA issues perhaps perhaps will be surprised. My guess is that if you look at the expiration date on all of those and count back a, a month, <laughs> that that might be when they address them if we look at history. Well, that's a good reminder. One of the lessons I learned on the Hill, and I suspect we all did, is that really never expect Congress to act before it absolutely has to, number one. And number two, as you mentioned, Carol, that you know, as soon as we get past November and get past this election, it won't be long before we're talking about the 2022 midterms, and that's a whole other discussion to have. Well, look, I know this has been a long episode, but we did want to put this discussion of the Trump tax plan sort of into context and into one place. But let me just lay out one last scenario for you, because I think, Carol, what you outlined is the prospects in the, you know, in the second Trump term of with divided control. It was kind of bleak, let's be honest, but here's another scenario. Let me play this out. You've got a president entering his second term. He's been criticized from across the aisle for a massive tax bill he championed and pushed through in his first term. His opponents claim it was a tax cut for the wealthy and it irresponsibly blew up the deficit. The president faces a second term with a divided Congress and the reality that anything he does on taxes will require a bipartisan solution. And yet, That president, working with a divided Congress, manages to push through a sweeping tax reform bill and does so on a revenue-neutral basis. The new law is overwhelmingly popular in Congress, in fact, so much so that it passes the House of Representatives by a voice vote. Nobody even considers recording the vote for posterity's sake. The Senate bill passes 97 to 3, and the president, flanked by members of his own and the opposing party, signed this sweeping new law in historic signing ceremony in the Rose Garden. Of course, I'm talking about the Tax Reform Act of 1986, signed into law on October 22nd of that year. The president was Ronald Reagan, and much of the dynamic then was undoing aspects of the large 1981 tax cuts, the Economic Recovery Tax Act, or ERDA. But it reminds us that the historical record provides a precedent for a second Trump term, even with a divided Congress, that could still yield an important piece of tax legislation. In this scenario, the TCJA would stand in for ERDA, and a new bill would be the modern-day equivalent of the Tax Reform Act of 1986. Now, I know for many of you listening, that's literally a lifetime ago, and perhaps the world has just changed too much since then to ever get back to a world where a tax reform bill could pass the House by voice vote and pass the Senate 97 to 3. You might say that we haven't seen that kind of bipartisanship in a long time. And in 1986, lawmakers didn't have a global pandemic to deal with. But remember, 
the $2.3 trillion CARES Act was overwhelmingly bipartisan. That was just months ago. You might also say that in 1984, Ronald Reagan won every state except Minnesota and the District of Columbia. Look, Donald Trump, if he wins, will not have that kind of mandate and political capital to spend on taxes. But with a victory, he will have some political capital. And as he showed us in his first term, taxes could very well be a top agenda item for the president and very well could be again in his second term, especially if we see important action in the OECD that could really force some important legislation out of Congress. So look, no matter who wins in November, Things won't necessarily be, but they could be interesting in the next four years. With that, we'll part ways for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, and I hope to see you soon.